um, we're continuing, well in fact we're continuing rather finishing our series on 1 John, uh, it's the last one of this series, let's stick with it, let's expect God to speak to us this morning, um, let me pray, Father God thank you for your words, thank you Lord that you're alive, that you're changing lives and I pray you might change our lives this morning through your words, speak to us we pray, we pray we go away thinking, no, just knowing that we've heard from you. And that, Lord, you've given us the power from your spirit to put it into practice as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how confident are you as a person? Um, Confidence is an important part of some of these TV uh, contests that come around every year. Um, For the fans of The X Factor and Strictly Come Dancing, I understand they're going to be starting up again in the next month or so. And amongst those contestants, if you've ever seen those programs, you get sort of two approaches to confidence. Some people are really lacking in confidence. Maybe they end up going out of the competition because they didn't really do themselves justice. They're a bit nervous. They didn't really perform um, as well as they could. Um, On the other hand, you get these people with this sort of misplaced overconfidence, particularly in the uh, X Factor auditions, people who think they are brilliant at singing. And, uh, but the judges don't quite share their opinion. And they're absolutely baffled when they get sort of laughed off the stage or they get told to go home. Um, confidence really matters in those sort of things. But it really matters to us as Christians as well. And uh, if you've been with us on uh, Sunday mornings over the last two months, you'll know we've been going through the letter um, 1 John in the Bible written by the disciple of, uh, jo- of Jesus, John. Uh, We're coming to the last part today, and it's about confidence. Um, John's kind of writing with sort of two main groups of people in mind. Um, Some people have this misplaced confidence. When he was writing, there were people who had left the church, um, false teachers, trying to lead Christians astray, full of confidence that they knew God, but in fact through their Their life and the things that they said and taught, they demonstrated they didn't know God at all. Denying basic truths about Jesus, no love for other Christians, no desire to live a life of obedience to God. All signs that they didn't really know God at all. Their confidence completely misplaced. But on the other hand, they, the other people at John, and I guess the main people John is writing to are the people who've had their confidence shaken They've got this lack of confidence because of these uh, wrong teachings and people leading them astray. These other people, Christians, are left lacking in confidence that they really know God at all. And John's writing to help them and help us be sure that we really know God. And as John finishes his letter, he finishes with some great words to us about confidence. The confidence that comes from knowing that we know God's. Confidence in prayer, confidence to help other Christians when they're struggling, and confidence to know that God is going to keep us safe on into the future. Well, as we said throughout this series, um, if you're listening to this, maybe you're not sure you do know God, maybe you're not a Christian, Um, we just want you to know God says through his word it is possible to know him, and we do hope that uh, this message helps you. And that God speaks to you, and you do come to that confident position of knowing that you know 
God. Um, let's have a look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. The words will come up on the screen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know, any, know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's how he finishes his letter. Uh, And we'll come to that slightly strange ending um, in a little while. It can be confusing when someone writes you a letter and you think, what is this about? What, What are they getting at? We had a very strange letter come through to the church office just recently, photocopied, um, strangely, another one arrived addressed to another church at the same time. Bit weird. Um, a strange story this person was telling us, um, asking us where they could find some particular obscure words in the Bible, and promising, promising us that we would receive a substantial sum in their will uh, if we um, reply to their letter. You think, what is going on here? Needless to say, we didn't reply. Um, it sounds like some sort of con, but you think, what, 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 what is this all about? Well, when John writes, the great thing is he says exactly why he's writing. Uh, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's what the, the letter's all about, if you've not picked up on it already. John wants Christians to have confidence that we know him. Not something that kind of goes up and down with our feelings, but based on objective truth, believing in Jesus, the Son of God, witnessed to in history by people who are actually there, like John, who knew him and loved him and saw him die and rise again from the dead. But also a confidence that as we look to ourselves, and this is the right thing that God says we should do, look at ourselves, look at the evidence that God has done in your life, that you love other Christians, that you hate what God says is wrong, that you desire to do what is right. And have a confidence also that as we hear the voice of the Spirit inside us, who he gives to every Christian, the Spirit living in us, confirming, yes, you are God's children, then John says all of these things work together to give us that confidence that God wants us to have, that we know him. It's not presumption, it's not being overconfident, it's a right confidence God wants us to have. And as we come to the end of the letter, John says that this confidence of knowing God will lead to several things. 
One is confidence in prayer. We've seen this a little bit already earlier in the letter. But uh, this is what John says now. Uh, This is the confidence, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what, what we have asked of him. It's an amazing promise. It's an amazing promise that Christ, as Christians we can be confident to approach our God, our Father, in prayer. To, to ask him for things. I think it's really important that we, we realize, despite what we might sometimes hear Christians saying, prayer, a very important part of prayer is asking God for things. He loves us to show our dependence on him by asking him for things. Asking him for the right things, of course. Prayer is part of our relationship with God, our communication with God. But, but don't believe that you can't ask him for anything. No, John's saying it's about approaching God with confidence and asking him for things. And he says he, more than that, we can be confident that he will act in response to our prayers. He's not just listening. Can certainly, he's certainly listening. The prayers don't stop at the ceiling. He's not only listening, but he's going to give us what we ask. He says we know that we have what we have asked of him. Is that your approach to prayer? Is that your experience of prayer? Confidence in approaching God? Confident that he'll hear you? And confident that he'll give you what you ask for. Okay, what is he really saying here? Is he saying that we will get absolutely anything that we ask for in prayer? If you've been a Christian for very long, you'll realize it doesn't always work like that. It's not like um, uncorking the bottle, rubbing the lamp, and the genie appears and gives you three wishes, and you can have whatever you like. Um, I heard about three uh, men stranded on a desert island. Uh, a bottle washes up on the shore. Uh, they uncork the bottle. A genie comes out. So you have three wishes, one each. The first one says, well, uh, I want to I be in Paris. Um, so the genie snaps his fingers and he's there in front of the Eiffel Tower. Well, the next one says, well, well I want to be in Hollywood. And the genie snaps his fingers and there he is on a movie set. Uh, and the third one, left all alone on this desert island, says... Uh, Well, I wish my friends were back. John is not saying that we have this confidence to ask stuff from God in prayer. uh, And it doesn't matter what effect it has on us, whether it's good for us or not, whether it's good for other people or not, whether it's good for God's purposes and his kingdom or not, and he'll just give it to us. And that's not the kind of confidence he's talking about. Now, he says, we can be confident that God will hear and answer our prayers when we ask for anything according to God's will. That's to say that when we're asking for things that please God, that are what God desires. Prayer isn't actually about getting God to do what we want. It's about us learning to ask for the things that God wants. Jesus prayed, um, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I've heard it said that that's a kind of, that's a sort of summary of what prayer is. We're praying for God's will to be done. Sometimes there are situations where we just don't know what God's will is, if we're honest. We might know what we would like to happen, but we're not really sure what is God's will. It's not something that he's promised in the Bible. It's not something he's spoken about specifically. It's not lacking confidence in prayer. It's not lacking faith 
when we pray, God, let your will be done in this situation. We don't really know how to pray, but Lord, let your will be done. We trust that you will do what is best, but we're asking you to move and to work and to act. Lord, may your will be done with this job that I'm applying for. Sorry, no, I'm not actually applying for a job, but... um, um, You know, with this job I'm applying for, may your will be done with this house move. You know what's best. You work it out in the way that's best for your kingdom, for your purposes, for what's good for me, or for what's good for others, what's good for your work. Your will be done. But there are plenty of things that we can do to learn how to pray more and more in accordance with God's will. We need to get to know God better, don't we? We need to get to know God's words. We need to get to know God's promises. We don't want to find ourselves passionately praying for something that God has never promised will happen. We we want to pray confidently for people to be healed. That's something that God says we should do. But God, at the same time, doesn't promise that in every uh, occasion people will be healed. We're to pray and we're to act towards people becoming Christians. That is God's will. But God doesn't promise that every time we share the gospel with someone, they will become a Christian. There's, a, there's obviously a mysterious element to all of this, isn't there? In some things, God reveals it in the Bible. He says, this is what we should do. This is what you should pray for. This is what you should work towards. But at the same time, God doesn't always promise that in every occasion, this is how it will happen. We do need to submit to God's will and how things work, but we want to be confident to get to know more and more of what God is saying, God's character, what he promises, what he wants us to pray for. We get to know it with other Christians as well, don't we? I've learned many things from praying with other Christians, hearing their prayers. And isn't it a great thing to see together God answering prayers? One of the great things about our our small group, one of the things I love about our small group in the church, we've prayed about things And we've seen God answer prayer. And it's great to see that together. And it encourages you, doesn't it? Yes, this is the kind of thing God likes to do. Let's keep on praying for this. But are we saying then that confidence in prayer is really about praying for things that God was going to do anyway? Uh, So really, what's the point of praying? Again, it's part of the mystery of prayer. The Bible's very clear that, no, we... We do want to pray in accordance with God's will, and yet prayer does make a difference. James chapter 5 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God uses prayer. God uses prayer to change situations, to, to change people, to change people's hearts. It it works. God uses it. God wants us to pray. We don't want to hold back thinking, well, maybe it won't work. Let's pray. Let's pray according to God's will, but let's pray with confidence. But there are all sorts of things that can make us lack confidence when we come to pray. Maybe just to, maybe confidence to pray at all. I think we've just got to hear that the, prayer, the, the promise here that God will hear and answer our prayers is not if we've not done anything wrong this week. And if we had a really sort of spotless week of following Jesus and you know, I've talked to people about him, and I've, I've helped little old ladies across the road, and I've, I've, I've done all sorts of things that God would be pleased with. Then God will answer my prayers. I've had a terrible week. God won't want to listen to me. No, that's not the basis of answered prayer. It doesn't 
we're not promised that God will answer our prayers. We pray for a certain length of time. Or if we use the, the right kind of words. Or we don't get too kind of rambly and lost. I don't know if you, you do this, I do this. You sometimes sort of realize as you're praying, you know, where am I going with this prayer? Um, Starting to turn into just thinking out loud um, rather than praying. It's not if we've not had any gaps in our prayer records. You know, I've, I've prayed every day for the last month. Now I hit that kind of sweet spot of God starting to answer my prayers. I've built up the kind of totalizer. It's not like in a job where you, know, you qualify for annual leave. You know, the, the longer you've been there, the more you get. You know, the more, longer you've been a Christian, the more answered prayers you get. The more confident you can be. Sort of rack it up year on year. No, it's not like that at all. You might feel you're the worst prayer. You might feel you've let God down at prayer. You might feel you've let God down this week. You haven't prayed for ages, maybe. It doesn't matter. You can still come to God confident in prayer. We need to come to God and ask for his forgiveness where we failed him. Even failed him in prayer. Not depended on him. Done all sorts of other things. Uh, Relied on all sorts of other things and people before we've relied on God. But come to God. Whoever you are. If you're a Christian, you come to God as a child of God. Through Jesus, he wants to hear you. He loves to hear you. He loves to answer your prayers. Come to God in confidence. We've got this prayer week coming up, actually. Um, we sort of haven't said anything about it from the front yet. It's in the connect sheets. Just starting to sort of drip feed it in. But second week of September, we're going to have a week devoted to prayer as a church. It's a great thing to do. We want to see God move and change situations and change people and change us. During that week, we want, to pray, we want to be more in tune with God's will. Through that week, we want to see him work through our church and in our church and in our town, maybe in our nation. Um, yeah, we're going to have lots of opportunities to gather together to pray, to pray, as well as ideas to help you pray each day through that week. We'll have more information about that nearer the time. But um, we love to pray as Christians, don't we? We love to pray. It's a great thing to know. God loves us to pray. He loves to hear us. He loves to act. But John moves on to pray about a particular area where we can have confidence in prayer. It's confidence to pray for Christians who sin. Confidence to pray for Christians who sin. Uh, verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Another sort of tricky passage in uh, 1 John. Uh, There's a few of them. Um, But uh, let's just try and get the kind of main point of what he's saying here. Back in chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, he says all Christians sin. In fact, we're deceiving ourselves, John says, if we say we're without sin. And the normal thing is, 1 John uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 9, we go direct to God through Jesus, we confess our sins to him, and because Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins, we're forgiven and we're purified from all sin. Every sin, no sin is unforgivable if we come to God through Jesus. So why is John now talking about a scenario where a Christian needs to be prayed for by another Christian. And also he talks about 
sin that leads to death and sin that doesn't lead to death and we shouldn't pray in certain circumstances. Well, but we need to remember, and this is so important we come back to, you know, why is John writing? Who is he writing to originally? He's writing to these two groups of people, or two groups of people in mind. The false teachers, people who are persistently denying that Jesus is the Son of God who saves us, persistently rejecting Jesus' command to love one another and to obey him. People are showing they're not Christians at all. And, of course, there's the Christians left in the church who are being misled by these people. And we need to imagine that not all the Christians were standing firm as Christians. Otherwise, John wouldn't be writing this letter. There would have been Christians on the slippery slope, listening to the false teaching about what was pleasing to God, starting to drift into sin. But at this point, John is saying it's not too late. There's no indication that these people have totally turned their backs on God, hardened their hearts towards him, denied their faith. So John says to the Christians, he says, step in. Pray for your brothers and sisters with confidence that they will be restored. They'll be restored in their relationship with God. As John puts it, God will give them life. Now, on the other hand, he seems to be talking, um, when he talks about a sin that leads to death, he seems to be talking about those false teachers. And the sense in which he's saying, you know, about not praying for them, seems to be that he's saying, actually, we, we can't have the same confidence. These people have denied Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus as the, as the way of life and relationships with God. They're walking away from the only means that we can be forgiven by. And so John's saying, we, we can't have that same confidence. They're, they're, they're away from God. They're not Christians. It's not about God restoring a Christian. This is something, these are people who've hardened themselves against Jesus. Now, of course, he's not saying you can't pray for someone who's hardened against God and who's not a Christian. But in this particular situation, that confidence that God will answer that prayer, that bring that person off that slippery slope... He's saying, no, that won't apply in that case, but we can pray with confidence. For Christians who are slipping and falling, if they're real Christians, God will bring them back. He will restore them. Now, we don't just have to be back in the time of false teachers and when John was writing. There don't have to be false teachers involved today. Christians slip today. Christians get on that slippery slope. Christians begin on the kind of thin end of the wedge of sin and start to move away from God. Maybe you've been there. Maybe someone loved you enough to pray for you, to get involved, to speak to you, to try and help you back to following Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning as someone who, maybe no one knows it, but you're starting down that slope yourself. James 5, again in James 5, we read about the power and effectiveness of prayer in just this kind of situation. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It doesn't have to be something that raises any eyebrows. Many people have gone on that kind of slippery slope of just stopping meeting with other Christians. As the Bible says, we, we need that encouragement to keep going in our Christian faith. Maybe 
they just stopped meeting with other Christians. Life has just got too busy. Maybe they've had a bad experience at church and there's sort of been bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness building up that they've been holding on to. Maybe they've got into a wrong relationship, one that draws them away from God. Maybe they're having a tough time. And rather than turning to God for comfort and help, they're turning to other things like alcohol or drugs or pornography. And there is a warning here to us from God through John. Don't get started on that road that might lead to persistent sin leading you away from God. Many sad examples of Christians who've gone that way. But there's a challenge here. There's an encouragement. There's a responsibility we've got as Christians to our brothers and sisters to pray for them if we become aware they're in, they're in danger. They're slipping away. They're getting close to the edge of the cliff. Pray with confidence, John says, that God will restore them, that God will give them life. Maybe just as I'm talking, maybe someone is coming to mind. Pray for that person. You might need to pray for them privately on your own. Um, It might be that you get the opportunity to pray with them, to talk to them. James 5 talks about confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another can be a sensitive time for someone caught up in sin. At the same time, they've lost their confidence in God. Maybe they, they can't bring themselves to pray. They think God's had enough of me. God won't hear me. And it just compounds and compounds. Maybe you're listening to this as a Christian on that slippery slope. And it's, it saps your confidence to pray, to approach God. You're not sure what to do about it. Or can I urge you to find a Christian that you trust to ask them to pray for you? Don't bear a, the burden of a guilty heart, maybe a doubting heart as well, on your own. As Christians, we can have confidence in prayer, but also confidence to pray for Christians who sin. Well, how can we be so sure that God will restore them? And how can we have confidence that actually God will keep us Knowing God, being sure that we know God on into the future as well, that we won't slip away ourselves. Well, the last thing John says uh, is that we can have confidence that Jesus will keep us safe. Jesus will keep us safe. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Back at the beginning of chapter 5, we read that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you become born again. Born again Christian isn't a special kind of Christian. That's a normal Christian. That's every Christian. You receive new life, new spiritual birth as children of God. And once we're alive in the family of God, we start to act like those who are born of God. We start to display the family likeness. We start to, start to look and act like our Father in heaven. And it affects how we live and how we love other people. And we just can't persist in sin anymore. We can't keep going in it. Yeah, we may have slip-ups, but we don't just keep on going down that road. It goes against our nature. Sin jars with us. We we just can't feel it's right to obey God. We, our conscience that God has now awakened, it troubles us until we've sorted things out with God, maybe sorted things out with another person. 
We need to confess it to God. And can't, we can't rest until we receive that assurance of God's forgiveness. Imagine you were over by Tesco, uh, just by the river. Sometimes the river's flowing fairly fast. The river is over there. And you see a dog in the water, flowing along with the water, face down in the water, carried along by the flow. You wouldn't feel very hopeful for that dog, would you? I'm sorry to say that, that dead dogs, but I just thought it was pretty better than dead people in the water. Um, but, you know, just imagine that dog in the water, very, very sad, more than likely dead, being carried along by the flow. On the other hand, you see a, a dog in the water, another dog in the water, um, swimming against the flow, going for a stick or a ball. You would think that dog is very much alive. You've got to be alive to swim against the flow. And in fact, that's what they do. And when God has made us alive through faith in Jesus, we will swim against the flow. It's a sign of life. We'll, we'll swim against the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We'll keep on following Jesus. It says the one who was born of God, that's Jesus, keeps them safe. And the evil one, the devil, cannot harm them. That's why we can pray for confidence. That's why we can pray with confidence for someone who's a, a brother and sister in Christ who's slipping away. We can pray with confidence because Jesus promises to keep them safe. If they start to go with a flow of sin, it won't be long before they come to their senses and they start paddling away against the flow of sin. It won't last if they're really a child of God's. It can't last. They have the life of God in them. Jesus will keep them safe. They will start paddling again and living to please God. But how does God keep us safe? How does Jesus keep us safe as Christians from flowing against the tide? Well, we said it is the prayers of our Christian brothers and sisters are really important. But listen to John's very final words in a letter, verse 20 and 21. He says, And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's it. Keep yourselves from idols. You think, John, have I missed something? Was I, did I miss a week in church? I haven't heard anything about idols. Well, he hasn't mentioned anything about idols throughout the letter. Why is he suddenly talking about idols? Bow, is it bowing down to idols, bowing down to statues, worshipping other gods, false gods? But actually, this is just another way of putting what he's been saying throughout the letter. Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. And idolatry is to put something else or someone else in the place of God, in the place of Jesus in your life. Instead of trusting and following Jesus as your king and the Lord of your life, the one who gives real eternal life, we go with the flow. We go with the flow of the world. We do what people around us do. We look to other things, other people, for our significance and our security and our joy and our peace. We can even find that we've replaced Jesus with a kind of modified Jesus, a different Jesus. A Jesus who is a Jesus how I like to think of him, who endorses everything that you want to do. That's idolatry, John says. It's worshipping another God. You're not worshipping Jesus at all. 
How does Jesus keep every real Christian safe by enabling us uh, to keep ourselves from idols? To not uh, continue in the flow of sin. It's really important that we don't need the promise of Jesus to keep us safe as a kind of green light to sort of put our feet up on the inflatable lounger, float down the river of life wherever it takes us. Now, throughout the Bible, we read of the Christian life as being a struggle, of being a fight against sin. It's like a grueling perseverance race. And Jesus does keep us safe. But by giving us the desire and the strength to hear and heed these warnings. When we hear, if you're a Christian, you hear it, keep yourself from idols. You say, yes, I'm going to do that. God, give me strength. It's so difficult at times. But I'm going to do that. I don't want to go against the flow. I want to resist temptation. I'm going to do my very best to do that in the strength of God. And Jesus says, as you do that, I will keep you safe. We keep on trusting and obeying and following Jesus as our Lord and the King of our life with the strength that he gives us. It's been so good to hear God's word through this uh, letter of of 1 John. It's been difficult in places. There's some quite um, tough things to hear. There's some things that maybe for some of us you think, well, I don't really need this truth at the moment, but we will. We need to lay down deep roots in God in the good times sometimes so that we've got them for the bad times. It's been so good to hear what God's been saying to us. We really can have assurance that we know God, the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. We really can be sure that we've got eternal life as we believe and trust in Jesus, as we see his evidence in our lives, in changing our love for other Christians, in in helping us resist sin, And living for God. We can be reassured as we hear the voice of the Spirit inside us. Yes, you are a child of God. I know you. You know me. I will keep you safe. Keep going. Keep yourself from worshipping anything else other than me and the Lord Jesus. And nothing else. Take his place in your life. Maybe you've been listening to this series and you're still at that point of saying, I'm not sure I know God. You can receive his new life today. You can pray to receive that today. I'd love to pray with you. Someone from our prayer ministry team in a moment would love to pray with you. A Christian you know and trust would love to pray with you about that. But you might be a little bit further back in things. You might be a little bit further back. Well, John's Gospel is a great place to go. John, one of John's other books that he wrote in the Bible. He says at the end of his Gospel... He wrote it so that people might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. 1 John is about Christians keeping going and being reassured. 1 John is about people becoming Christians. Maybe you want to check out John's Gospel. I really recommend reading that through. Well, let's pause for a moment to um, just reflect and respond to God. There's a number of things that even today we've picked up on maybe you want to say to God that you do want to be confident in prayer you want him to help you to be confident in prayer you want to ask God's forgiveness for something when you've gone with the flow maybe with a sin that you're struggling with and giving into right now 
and pray for God's help. Maybe you want to pray for someone you know who's in danger, another Christian. Maybe you want to pray for yourself that you would have God's strength to keep yourself from idols, not to go with the flow, but to honor Jesus as the Lord of your life each day. Let's pause for a moment and then I'll pray. Father, thank you that you know um, every person here. Lord, you know every person's hearts. Lord, you know everything about us. Lord, in, in a good way. Lord, you, you know what we do and think and say that no one else sees. Lord, we know, you know where we stand with you. Lord, I pray that uh, you might give us that confidence that we really know you if we do know you. That confidence to keep going, that strength to keep going in following you. And Lord, where we, where Lord, it's right that we don't have that confidence that we know you because we don't really know you. We pray, Lord, that you may, Lord, enable us to give our life to Jesus and submit to him and begin and receive that new life that you want to give us. Lord God, we do pray that you may do whatever you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.